Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Good afternoon, Rich. And you both made it, well, I say both, mainly you, Ty, you've made it back from London this time, and that's <laughs> yeah. his first trip to uh, Brentford since, I think it was 1947. Uh, you know, it's... It's that sort of stereotypical game with two halves. The United mood, you know, should be one of positivity after the second half performance, Samuel. But maybe some fans getting a bit carried away because the first half performance was more of what we've we've seen really under Ralph Raniak. United very unconvincing. They were there for the taking. Thomas Frank himself after the game said United were unbelievably lucky to get away with the three points. But it doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you get the win, you know, by the end of the season, especially if United were to scrape the top four. Who really cares how the game unfolded? The important thing was that they won. United teams of the past haven't always been their best when they have won a game. So, yeah, what did you make of the match yourself? And do you think that some fans are just looking for an excuse to be negative? And, you know, a win's a win. You've got to ride that wave and enjoy it. Absolutely. And and the supporters there certainly enjoyed it. They were enjoying themselves in the first half, which was another disconcerting first half of the season. Uh, Thomas Frank's bitterness at full time was 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 quite amusing. He, he said that they that, that Brentford destroyed United in, or for, I think it was absolutely destroyed absolutely United destroyed. in the first half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Brentford were excellent in that first half, but you've got to take your chances. And those two finishes from Jensen were were quite tame. It was good goalkeeping from De Gea. He, he read read the danger in those situations. Um, United, unsurprisingly, looked very uncomfortable at, at set pieces. And the, the great thing about Brentford Stadium, which is very impressive, is that you've you've got quite close proximity to the away dugout. So we could see that uh, Eric Ramsey had a had a monitor out and was reviewing United set piece set up in game. And I don't think the game was even ten minutes ten minutes in when he was like puffing his cheeks out, thinking, "What the hell is going on here?" So it was, it was rather remarkable that they didn't concede from a set piece or a throw-in until gone the 80th minute. But they just looked unrecognisable from the start of the second half. It's just that classic case of you ride your luck in, in the first half. You have a half-time team talk. Um, the manager gets his, um, his his analysis across to you. You take heed of it and you go out and you show what you're capable of. And that's what United haven't done enough this season. They need to rise above these opponents who... They, they are inferior teams on paper. They don't have the, the skill set and the quality that United have, but they have to rise. United have to rise above that. They have to rise above the crowd, and they they belatedly did that in the second half. And I I don't think too many supporters who were there are getting carried away. Certainly, the ones I spoke to, I think one of the first things they said was just how bad the first half was. So that was still very fresh in the mind. But it was a very encouraging second half performance. Three really good goals. Three academy graduates scoring. You knew we'll get on to it at some point with Ronaldo that that was going to be the story, but I, I think that's been a bit overblown, predictably overblown. Uh, but there's 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 potential there with that four three three formation. No formation is foolproof, as we've said a number of times, but there've been plenty of positives from from the Villa away game and and the Brentford away game in that setup, even though there've been drawbacks to it as well. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, we'll come on to Ronaldo and maybe some more individuals at <clears in> the <throat> moment. But Ty, I guess that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, it's so rare that a team will play at the optimum for 90 minutes anyway. And it's almost this sort of fanciful 
vision that lots of fans have. They they, they think that, you know, if, if you're not playing this ticky-tack of football whatever for 90 minutes of the game, then something's gone wrong. But that's just the way that football works, isn't it? And for you as well, in terms of the way that United set up in that second half, I know you've wrote a piece all this week about the, the formation itself. Do you think that that is the solution that United need to go for for the rest of the season? Now, of course, it was one that Solskjaer tried himself in pre-season. It never really went off the ground. What do you think has changed now that can make that work? I think it's got to be the, the formation going forward. I mean, I don't think it's foolproof. I don't think they've got all the personnel they would want to play it, but I think they need to they need to stick with it. And it's also, whoever takes charge in the summer is likely to play a 4-3-3. I mean, if considering Pochettino and Ten Hag as the favourites at the moment, they will both play a 4-3-3. And, you know, it was illuminating in Randy's press conference that he said, if you look at all the top teams in Europe and in England, they play a 4-3-3 these days. It took United until January the 15th to do it this season. So it's pretty damning of, of where United stand, the fact that it's taken them so long. Um, it does feel like a, a formation that is is better going forward. Um, I mean, Ranić's 4-2-2-2. Um, he, he obviously liked that at Leipzig. It worked for him at Leipzig, but it's pretty unique. It's not a system that any other manager uses. And it seems... It almost seems pointless to use it for six months and then have someone come in in the summer and rip it up and never play it again. You're far better off playing a 4-3-3 and getting these players used to a system that they're they're going to continue. I think the concern has always been personnel. Um, I mean, when we saw McTominay on the team sheet uh, on Wednesday, I, I sort of pondered on Twitter whether it would be him as a holding midfielder and a couple of people said they'd think it'd be 4-2-3-1 simply because... Neither McTominay or Fred are trusted to play as a lone defensive midfielder and clearly weren't trusted by Solskjaer to play that role. I think the biggest reason he didn't go to 4-3-3 was that he felt they had to they had to hold hands, basically, in, at the base of midfield and, and chaperone each other through games. So it was good to see Ranić trust McTominay in that role. Thought he was good in the first half and he was outstanding in the second half. His role, I mean, it shows... We've, we've had this conversation a few times before on the podcast about the futility of... Um, assists and things like that and it showed it showed the pointlessness in a way because McTominay created the second and the third goals for me in the way he won the ball back aggressively positionally was really good and then the second goal he dribbled forward third goal sorry he dribbled forward and beat a man to come out of the game um, the second goal he just picked the ball up won the ball immediately looked forward and looked to exploit an, an unstructured defence and I think in both of those instances, it's exactly what Ranić wants from his players. I thought it was a really encouraging performance, and I mean, you were talking rich yesterday, and for me, he's got to be—he's got to be a squad player at least as a defensive mm-hmm. midfielder. You know, yeah. I think United will obviously look to sign a holding midfielder in the summer and a world-class one or heading to world-class. But I think McTominay is is perfectly good enough to be back up in that position, versatile enough to cover other areas, and I think it, it showed that he can play that system and in a way that. You know, say wasted six months, but probably not far off. That United could have played this formation earlier in the season and had more success with it. And you know, it's not it's not great. It's taken them so long, and there are issues. They, you know, they 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 tired against Villa, and Villa worked it out fairly easily. The first half at Brentford was really really bad, and it feels like this game coming up tomorrow is is a huge a huge test for them. Someone did say to me yesterday, actually, a United fan, that he wonders how much of the second half at Brentford was Brentford getting tired because they did put. They put a lot into the first half, as you would have to put a lot into a half to absolutely destroy United. So they they, they worked hard for that first half and there may have been an element of tiredness. So I think we definitely want to see them back it up on, on Saturday. But yeah, system-wise, it's, it's got to be the 4-3-3 for me. Yeah, 
like I said, to lift the lid on the chat myself and Ty had, we talk about that, the midfield free and, you know, going forward, if United do want to sign a midfielder, you know, especially if you've got Pogba and Van der Beek in certain futures and you're looking at two midfielders who need to come in at least then. And going forward, that means that McTominay and Fred, they both can't play together long term. You know, that partnership's going to have to be ripped up at some stage and the likelihood is maybe that one of them will survive and you'd have that specialist defensive midfielder. Samuel, do you think that the midfield going forward is going to be shaped with Fred maybe ahead in the starting lineup and McTominay as that reserve player who can show his versatility, play in the big games? And, you know, I guess in a way, he probably is suited to that role because he can play a bit as a defensive midfielder, he can play a bit as an attacking midfielder and he's sort of that piece you can throw in depending on the opponents. But yeah, it does seem like that that axis, the McFred axis, will have to come to an end if United do want to sign a new midfielder. Well, it was... I think it was Michael Carrick who showed United the way forward with Fred in that he started playing in a more advanced role in, in his games as, as caretaker manager. And I think he forced the error against uh, Villarreal for Ronaldo's goal. And of course, he won the penalty for the winning goal against Arsenal. And in the last three games, he's got three assists. And it's not, they've not been assists where you just kind of like look at them and think, oh, he's just passed it to someone and they've gone on a mazy dribble. Uh, two of them have been genuinely impressive, those those balls over the top for, for McTominay and Alanga. Fred's the more complete footballer, probably, um, just in his, the skill set that he's got. He can play deep, he can play further forward. With with McTominay, you, you've not really seen as much variety there. He's he certainly got the capabilities to be attack-minded, but I think it was a bit sentimental of Solskjaer just to think he had to be an attacking midfielder on account of, you know, there was, there was a little goal that he had last season where he scored a couple against Leeds and he scored against West Ham in the cup. But it was, I think it was over the space of about six or seven weeks. And, and Solskjaer just saw him as an attack-minded midfielder and never really entertained the possibility of him playing deep, which I've always thought was a mistake given that they, they didn't sign a midfielder in the summer it seemed to make infinite sense to use McTominay as as a holding midfielder, given that he does play quite defensively for Scotland. Uh, invariably, when he's on international duty, he started his United career there. He's got the engine, he's got the aggression. Um, we, we saw with the, the second goal in particular the other night, the way he broke up play and how he just gets the ball and he can pass it forward as well. So it, it was a bit mystifying that they took as long to, to use him in that role, um, given that Matic is the only specialist and as you saw at Villa Park, he, he can barely keep it up for, for 90 minutes, never mind in, on a consistent game-by-game -game basis. I think Newcastle even exploited him earlier in the season. So that midfield three, which of course is the midfield three that, that Solskjaer trusted so implicitly, is, is still probably the way forward for United, but Rangnick has finessed it and he, he's arguably taken a little bit too long to um, with the uptake there in terms of moving to four three three, but there's definite potential in it. I, I was particularly pleased they they performed as well as they did in the second half the other night because the the team I picked for our panel was exactly the same team. It was one of those once in a blue moon occasions where the team that I would have gone with that the United manager went with as well. But there is a lot of mitigation for that second half, given that Brentford did expend a hell of a lot of energy in that first half and mentally they must have been rather demoralised yeah. at half time that it was still nil-nil. Yeah, exactly. And another positive as well for midweek tie was the fact that Anthony Langer did start the game as Samuel predicted. If you do read the panel pieces. They'll be never yeah. on Saturday morning. The pressure's on Samuel to go two in a row there on that. Um, but, you know, I think that's been refreshing for fans. It's that 
Ranić's not afraid to make these big calls. You know, it would have been quite easy for him to drop a langer to the bench and say, well, he needs a bit of a rest. He's still new to professional football. You know, he's, he's a raw talent. You've got to be careful with nurturing him. But I think the team that, that was selected on Wednesday night, fans would agree with that pretty unanimously. I know Van der Beek, we, we'll probably have to get onto at some point again, how he fits into this formation. But someone, the fans will have said he should have started just because that happens every week. But... Anthony Alanga, his performance in general and the backing he's had from the manager. You know, he's a player who potentially could have left on loan this month, but he's going to get the chance at United. There's no reason for him to leave when he's starting matches. What did you make of him and how refreshing was it to see someone who, you know, the fact he's so new on the scene, he, he approaches it in such a, sort of an innocent, naive way, in a, which is quite refreshing because he just runs with the ball. He wants to get a goal and he's not really had that sort of coached out of him. Yeah, he, he, he looked really good in both of these games. You're right that it was a Pretty bold call to start. I think we can all name previous United managers who might have thrown Rashford back in and stuck with Rashford rather than Alanga purely on senior, seniority and the fact he was back in the squad. So it was a bold call to start him. And obviously, we'll, we'll go and confront the elephants in the room shortly, but it was also a bold call to leave him on and, and take Ronaldo off. He, he he did play really well. I think he's played well in both of these games. He tired a bit against Villa. I thought that... Um, I thought that it was noticeable against Villa when he gave a, he gave Mike Cash quite a tough game, and then in the second half, Cash sort of, and this is something teams are doing a lot on United at the moment of being very physical against them. And Mike Cash's attempts to stop Alanga were basically just to smash into tackles against him and and almost try and bully him out of it. And I mean, all the tackles were perfectly fair, but they were uncompromising at the time. Um, but yeah, both of these games he's looked good. I thought he took his goal brilliantly. It was a very sort of improvised finish, but the way he managed to bring it under control was was excellent. He does look dangerous running at players. I mean, he looks like, you know, his most informed left winger at the moment. And I think he's, he should be starting games at the moment. It was, it was encouraging, I guess, to see Rashford come on and, and get a goal. He looked lively when he came on. He's obviously had a really poor time of things with, with performances lately, but he looked better. But at the moment, I think Alanga's got to be starting ahead of Rashford and Sancho, which is, a pretty incredible turn of events, really, for him from the start of the off-season and from October when yeah. Rashford came back into the team and, and looked pretty good. But he is playing with that sort of fearlessness of youth at the moment. He's he's aggressive running with the ball and he's got an eye for goal as well. He's he's played centre-forward at times before. He took his goal at Wolves on the last day last season really well and had a couple of chances at the start of that game. Took this goal really well. He had a couple of chances at Villa. Um, that he got himself into a good position for what he should have square to Cavani, but the one that he put just wide of the post, he did really well to kind of get the ball into a shooting position. So I think there's a lot of positives there at the moment. And he's for me, he's someone that, that should be starting games on the left at the moment. Yeah, exactly. When Thomas Frank's complaining about how much money United have, it's refreshing that three goal scorers didn't cost them a, a penny either. Well, they did maybe to nurture, but not in transfer fees anyway. Um Ronaldo then, Samuel, we'll leave that one for you. Um, <laughs> whenever he does anything, it makes headline news, doesn't it? And we've seen this throughout the season's rhetoric of when, it, when he, he's one of the greatest players of all time. You don't want to be substituted, do you? He wants to be playing every single minute of every single game. He said, you know, he signed, he's got unfinished business. You know, he has that. That's what's so brilliant about him. He does play like a petulant teenager at times because he just wants everything. He wants the ball all the time. He wants to be playing all the time. He wants goals, goals, goals. That's what his game's about. Do you think that it is almost a non-story because, you know, it's happened so many times this season and he's a born winner. That's what born winners do. If you, if a player's happy to be substituted, that's a bigger problem, surely. I completely agree. As soon as his number flashed up on the 
on the board, I thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> just just from a, a, a selfish perspective to avoid us having to do a little bit more work. And then you, you look at him and how he's reacted and the hands went on the hips and they were clutching his hips like a, as tightly as a vice. And he's not going to jog off. He's, he's always going to walk off and then there's going to be a camera on him. We were trying to see if what, what he was doing, but he was just sat in that gangway and it was it was unclear whether he actually celebrated Rashford's goal. I don't know if BT were able to go back to a replay of that, but it is a non-issue. I think that there are very few players who are entitled to ask for an explanation when, when they're substituted. But he is one of them because he is one of the, the greatest players there's ever been in the game. He reacted far worse in one of his last games under Sir Alex Ferguson in, in 2009, where the scenario was complete, was exactly the same. He'd scored on this occasion, but United were 2-0 up in the second half against Manchester City. And and he was, he was taken off. He wasn't happy about it. Uh, Alec Wiley, I think the kit man, held out a tracksuit top for him and he took a swipe at it and went... One of these old deers and the stands behind is just absolutely appalled by his behaviour as he goes storming up the steps into the dugout. But but that day it was newsworthy, particularly in particular because everybody expected him to go to Real Madrid in the summer. And that was also the game where Tevez scored and did his ear cupping celebration pretty much right in front of uh, Ferguson because he knew he wasn't going to be staying at United. So that that was a that, that was a much more uh, relentless news cycle in terms of hissy fits from players who, who were taken off. And that was when United were winning things and were, were about to win their third title on the trot. Um, I think with what I like about Ronaldo is that there's no filter with him. He's not one of these players who covers their mouth while they're talking. I mean, there've been some non-playing officials at United recently who've, who've done that, which is just absolutely bizarre behaviour. But you could see what he was saying. He was saying, why did you take me off? He wants an explanation. And unfortunately for Rangnick, the the change was was indicated because Rashford scored so in, in such a um, impressive way, and then that allowed him the stoppage to go over and explain to Ronaldo in such a, a measured manner. I think Ronaldo was actually in dialogue with with Darren Fletcher during the game. I think he actually had the respect not to bother Rangnick, who was stood in the. the the technical area and was actually managing. He didn't want to interfere with, with his with his job at that point. And with Ronaldo, he, he has got an ego the size of the solar system. Everybody knows that. And I think the difference between him, if because I'm just going off what some crank on Twitter said about me having a pop at Messi early in the season, the difference with Messi is that he has got a pretty much similarly sized ego but he hides behind this facade that he's this very humble individual who treats everyone with respect. And it's probably why he's more revered around the world than Ronaldo is. I, I can't envisage a scenario that where Messi would come to England and he'd be goaded as much as Ronaldo has been by opposition supporters um, as, as he has this season. That's probably because of the, the, the celebration he has and that's that's used against him. Uh, whereas Messi doesn't have something, he doesn't kind of have a trademark like that. But that's, I think that's why Ronaldo's a bit more laudable than Messi and that there is no filter there. He, What you see is what you get. He is arrogant, um, he is demanding, but he's a serial winner. And in all my years watching football, I, I didn't think I'd ever see someone with a winning obsession comparable with, with Roy Keane's. But Ronaldo is, is very, very similar to Keane even though they have very, very different backgrounds. 
and I'd imagine Keane, if, if he was on punditry duty in midweek, he wouldn't see much of a fuss with, with what he did either. But if it's a certain narrative with certain narrow-minded individuals, particularly after what he said about the youngsters the previous week and, and them not accepting criticism well, and maybe that was Ronaldo not accepting criticism or a form of it, but it was very different circumstances. And as I said, he's reacted far worse um, to being substituted in the past under arguably the greatest manager ever. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, if if, the, if someone having a winner's mentality is a problem, then it says a lot about the club he's at, if, if that's causing issues, doesn't it? Um, Ty, yeah. in terms of the, the future, though, of Ronaldo, I know you've done this piece today as well, looking at um, maybe what it means for him and how United can keep Ronaldo happy. I think maybe you did it yesterday, actually. Um, in terms of, of United's sort of season ahead then, I mean, there's still a chance they could be playing in the Europa League or the Conference League next season. When Ronaldo said he had unfinished business, he didn't mean sort of gobbling up those those trophies did he but um what do you think the pressure is on united to to get the top four in order to keep ronaldo happy and can you envisage a situation in which if united were to finish you know sixth or seventh that there would be real issues with ronaldo's own future at the club yeah 100 100 i mean if if he is that frustrated at missing 19 minutes at brentford imagine i would react if you told him he's going to go a full season in the conference league rather than the champions league um, I mean, it would register on the Richter scale that when he when he was told that um, United have to get top four, not just because that is what Ronaldo wants and what Ronaldo is. Well, he's not here for top four; is he's here to win the Premier League, but that's not going to happen. Um, they also need it financially. I think. I mean, it's you know, there's not going to be financial issues if they don't get it, but they are they are paying Ronaldo and De Gea and other players an astronomical wage. They've shown their financial clout really to come through the pandemic pretty much unscathed, but. I mean, it was unfathomable at the start of this season that they might miss out on the Champions League. So they have to, they simply have to get top four to me. And the pressure is on them far more than it's on any of the other three teams to do it. I mean, in terms of Ronaldo, it's hard to predict, but part of part of that frustration or, or anger, whatever you want to call it, coming off on Wednesday, is because he can hear the clock ticking. He's 37 in two, two weeks, I think, just over two weeks. He knows the end is coming. And it might be 19 minutes at Brentford in a game that's already won, but he wants another goal. The 704th or whatever he's on for now is going to be just as big and just important as the first. That is that is what he's like. He's insatiable for it. And the idea for him of his what might be his last season in, in the elite level in Europe being played outside of the Champions League, I mean, I doubt he could even stomach that, to be honest. So... You know, whether whether United finishing fifth would mean that he wants to push to leave, who knows? It would also depend if there's a market for him. But United can't afford to let that even become a debate. We know that he, he everything he does is obviously a headline. If he every coffin splutter was a headline, it was inevitable that it was going to be a headline the way he reacted. Um but like I say, as long as they're winning games, it doesn't matter. Ranyak handled it really well. He spoke with with real intelligence and humility about it, I thought. And it's it's not going to be a problem if United keep winning. The problem is going to be if they play more like they did in the first half and, and don't get top four, because I think that could be a real issue for him. And, and Samuel's right that the re- his reaction is because he is a winner and he has a bigger winning mentality than almost any other footballer in Europe. But that is incompatible with playing for a team that's that's not in the Champions League. So I think there's definite pressure on United to, to make sure they do get there. 
Yeah, this, this, could, this could be the worst year of his career if Portugal don't qualify for the World mm. Cup as well. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the subject of top four as well, you know, the same night that United beat Brentford, Tottenham came from behind and showed real character to to win at win at Leicester. Do you see Tottenham as United's biggest challenger for for the fourth place then? Because you know, I mean, Arsenal they've shown a bit of resilience in recent weeks, but of course they lost to Liverpool reserves on what was it on Thursday night. Um, West Ham are. West Ham just you get a team like that almost every season who give this false pretense. It reminds me of when Southampton was it 2014, 15 or whatever they were fourth at Christmas and fans were saying, Are they going to get Champions League? and they just dropped and dropped. Um, do you see Tottenham as the only team really that can threaten United, or do you think that I'm being a bit more disrespectful to those other teams I've mentioned? I I would never ever uh, <laughs> for being disrespectful towards Arsenal. I think it's it's it should be encouraged more than anything. But I I don't think they're I don't really see them falling away as such. I think it's going to be quite close and tight with those four teams there. Um, maybe not the four teams as you said. With with West Ham, I can see them falling away. They were they were up there. February was it last year and there was I think because there's quite a big West Ham presence in the English media or, or particularly the press it gets extended their impact their form gets uh, quite a lot of coverage and uh, accentuated when you just knew they were going to fall away last season they'll probably fall away this season as well but with this game on Saturday, it's United's biggest game of the season if they win they go back into the top four and I don't think they've been there since uh, October the 16th, which was the day of the the, the Leicester game when they lost 4-2, which was <clears throat> the end of, um, of Solskjaer's reign as, as manager. He was sacked just over five weeks later. Um, but they went into that game in, in the top four. Of course, they didn't end the game in the top four. And with Tottenham and, and Arsenal playing on Sunday, it's, it's a good opportunity for them. And, and they really need to win to take that momentum into the... It's not a winter break, but this uh, rather incongruous 19-day yeah. gap uh, before the Middlesbrough FA Cup game. Yeah, and tie another thing that's maybe pressing. Got ten days left of the Jan transfer window. We know maybe nothing's going to happen. I guess that sums it up, doesn't it? Um, do you expect to see United sign anyone before the end of deadline day, or do you still think it's very much unlikely? I would say it's still pretty unlikely, really. Um, I mean, if they play like the second half. If they play they did in the second half on Wednesday again or tomorrow, then it probably gets even more unlikely. I mean, there's certainly an argument they could do with strengthening midfield, but I don't think, you know, they're, t- they're taking a very sort of long-term view, I guess, on transfers. The It's unlikely you're going to sign anyone in this window that is going to significantly improve the team, really. I mean, it's fans are obsessed with transfers these days and... You know, when you get someone like Dennis Zakaria's name mentioned, everyone's like, I can't believe we're not actually going to sign him. A lot of them have never seen him play. He spent five years <laughs> playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, do you really think he's going to come in and transform United into title winners? But, but Ty, you're missing the fact he's got quite a cool name. He has got a very you know, cool it's name. It's more glamorous than yeah. Scott McTominay, so he must be better, surely. <laughs> but we're a Gladbach in the Bundesliga as well. I couldn't They've been you. doing... They've been Champions League pretty... last few seasons. Oh, yeah, oh, they've beaten Bayern Munich twice, I think, this season, but lost... Lost to quite a lot of other teams, I think. So I don't think they're pulling up any trees particularly. And he is 25, so it's not like he's suddenly like a... Yeah, know, 12. 21, 22. 12 out of 18. 12 out of 18. He's not going to be a transformative signing, is he? And there's no point signing him on a three-and-a-half-year deal and he's just another squad player in the summer. So you know, it, 
if they could get someone in on loan or something like that, that would at least give them a bit more, uh, some more options in that holding midfield. Might be worth doing. Can can Agallo play at defensive midfield? <laughs> but yeah, that sure. I don't want to say that Delaney. sort of signing because obviously you don't want that sort of signing. But you know, I think that's the only real thing they should go for. I can't see them signing a player that's going to contribute long term on a permanent deal in in this window. So I think it's more about getting rid of players. Really, Randy's mentioned a few times that the squad's too big. Mm. There's an incredible number of unhappy players at that club who want to go, and I think it would probably be wise for United to let a few go. It might well help the the general atmosphere around Carrington really and start to trim some of that squad to, to focus on on new faces in the summer. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's that hypocrisy that we've mentioned before, isn't it? The United admit that they've got too many players but then don't want to let any of them actually leave the club. But um, Samuel, maybe the one who looks most likely to leave this month is Jesse Lingard. What is the latest on his future while we're recording this at midday on Friday? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a little bit out of the loop now after doing the story on on Wednesday because I was I was off yesterday. Um, but it, it, it appears as though that Newcastle have gone back in with an offer. I think United risk humiliation there again if they don't get him off the books, whether it's via a loan or a permanent deal. Uh, it's it seems like still to me uh, from what contact on me this morning that a loan deal is still probably the likely scenario and the best way of, of getting getting a fee for him ironically because that's the way it works sometimes United bank these loan fees and realistically they're not going to get a permanent fee for Lingard I think when Newcastle approached him at the start of the month he was looking for 180 grand a week and something like a, a 10 million pound relegation clause that was the talk at the time um I think the word is that his his camp want to be paid very well as part of this deal, which isn't a surprise given that you're dealing with a club that's just been taken over by by well <laughs> pretty much the, the, the entire country of Saudi Arabia. Really, it, it, let, there's there's no point um, beating about the bush there. That's that's you know it's it's a sports washing institution now, Newcastle United. So any club sorry any player that's looking to sign for them is is going to want to be played is going to want to be paid well and so their representatives and the window closes what a week on monday um if if you if united don't oversee one outgoing then it's going to be another failure uh, the, the summer was a failure but just about salvaged by the very impressive fee they got for daniel james and just, just on the subject of that, the, the player sales where they have got really good fees for in recent years, there's always been a link there that has made the buying club pay slightly over the odds for them in that Leeds were just obsessed with Daniel James for two and a half years before he eventually ended up there. When Schneidlin went to Everton, um, Ronald Koeman had obviously worked with him at Southampton. Daly Blind was, uh, is an Ajax boy. So they were happy to pay over the odds for him. So there tends to be a, a thread there. With Lingard, it's it's different. There's there's no real connection there with Newcastle. It's just so happens that they've been taken over and they need to make some very um, astute and impressive signings if they want to stay in the Premier League. So I, I don't think a great deal has changed there other than that Newcastle are still trying to, to get that deal over the line. Um, when I, was, I did the story on Wednesday, I was told that it wasn't actually crazy money being talked about, and that's probably why this this deal hasn't already happened. 
Yeah, exactly. Watch this space and, of course, keep up to date with everything on the MEN for any developments over that. But, of course, there is that game against West Ham this weekend. You know, Samuel's already mentioned that it is maybe a real true gauge of where United actually are at. And, of course, after the game against Brentford, which you could either be a pessimist or you know optimist about, really, the result, given those two very different halves of football. Ty, it is a really interesting match. Um, we've already seen United's lose at home to West Ham in the Carabao Cup this season. Um, what do you expect to see at Old Trafford on Saturday? And in terms of the, the team as well, do you expect to see many changes or do you think Granjic will, will stick with that same setup and the same sort of players who started on Wednesday night? I would say he'll probably stick with, with that team. I suppose the most interesting one at the moment is Maguire and, and whether Maguire comes back in because for the last two games, you know, how, however people might try and spin it, he has been dropped. I mean, Granjic said he was fully fit on Saturday at Villa. So the idea that he then wasn't fully fit on, on Wednesday is is clearly not the case. Um, so he has been dropped. And he didn't take, I thought it was interesting, he didn't take the captain's armband when he came on on Wednesday as well. So it, it, that, I, thought he was, most... I thought he was captaining from the sidelines and he was going to lead them. And... Yeah, he was captaining from the sidelines, but then came on and didn't captain on the pitch, which is a, an, interesting, an interesting role. So, I mean, he's probably the most interesting selection decision at the moment. In terms of the game, I mean, they need to... They need to put it together for 90 minutes, really. They need to do what they did in the first half of Villa and the second half at, at Brentford and, and do it for 90 minutes. Because I think if they don't win, and especially if they lose, that second half at Brentford will be a, a distant memory already. I think it's an interesting game in that it's the toughest game Ranić's had so far. The concern over the last six games for me is the, the number of shots the opposition are having at United's goal. I put it in my five things piece on Wednesday that the games against Brentford two against Villa, Wolves, Newcastle and Burnley. Um, I think that's six games. The opposition have had 86 shots at United goal, which is astronomical, really, when that opposition is all pretty average. This is the first good team they've played, so I think it is it is a real test. I think it'll be quite a physical game. Um, we were saying on Wednesday that it seems at the moment the teams are physically targeting United and and they get the sense that they can sort of be be bullied and intimidated and West Ham are a team of absolute giants, really. They're all massive. They all look really hard. So I can imagine that they're going to make it quite a quite a physical game. So I think in, in that regard, and the fact that they're the best team they've played, it is a real sort of litmus test for, for how much progress Ranjik has made recently. Yeah, and of course, like we've said already, West Ham will want to prove that they aren't duds in this top four challenge as well and have you know a point to prove after a few, maybe a drop-off and four maybe in, the, in recent weeks and particularly that defeat to Leeds last weekend. Samuel, for yourself, what are you expecting from the game then? Do you, do you expect to see United win or have you already learned that maybe that is being a bit too optimistic? I think it'll be quite tight. West Ham have, have done brilliantly this season. Moyes has done a brilliant job there as well. Uh, I said that, I think, prior to the the, the away game in September, that how they've got a pretty settled eleven. That even though there was quite a lag in the transfer window, um, eventually they, they they were active, and those signings haven't necessarily been particularly key this season. But they they have improved the squad, and there are certain players who have improved on his watch as well. Um, it, it seemed like a bit of a, of a mismatch at first when he when he went there. Um, for that first spell, which was over four years ago now, but he's he's repaired his image really from um, from the United uh, era, and they've they've done really well this season. Just you know, Jared Bowen, I thought was excellent last season when United <laughs> United had a dreadful first half, and then were brilliant in the second half against West Ham, which is going back to what December twenty twenty. Um, I, I 
you know, midweek was it, there were shades of a Solskjaer win that game against Brentford. And I don't think they'll be able to get away with that against West Ham with the amount of players that they have got um, on form at the moment. And just as a collective unit, I think they're they're very impressive. They've got really reliable players in, in almost every position there. Antonio can be a handful. Him against Lindelof is, is probably something that Moyes will look to um, to exploit. But he's, he's not got much of a mention um, because I think he's... he's kind of unassuming the way he goes about his work but Varane does make a hell of a difference to that United defence even though they are still conceding chances and are still pretty porous they are a much better side with him there and, and he's looked very good since he's come back from from injury he had a obviously the Newcastle game maybe he was rushed back a little bit there or it was just an element of ring rust from not having played for, for quite a while but when you consider that he wasn't in the team for the Leicester game, the Watford game, the Liverpool game this season, where they're shipping four or five goals, I think if he's in the team for those games, then they probably don't lose by those those margins. So um, that that could be one to look out for Varane against Antonio. But United United absolutely have to win this game. If they win it, they go top. They go fourth for what twenty four hours at least, and it gives them that fillip going into the. Uh, the 13-day break uh, before they play Middlesbrough in the, the FA Cup in the not-too-distant future. And I guess finally, quickly from both of you, I know you hate them, but what do you think will happen on Saturday? Prediction? I, I'll go 2-1 uh, United. I was going to say 2-1 as well, so let's go with that. We shall see. Yeah, we'll pick up the pieces next week when you've both been humiliated again. And we <laughs> but who knows? We'll wait and see. Uh, Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. And thank you very much once again, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time. <laughs>